Maybe sometimes it's a recurring statement, um, but it centers around or is like surrounded by um, events like this that we do, like the Thanksgiving event, where our goal, of course, is to gather as many resources as we can for a specific event or a specific period of time or a specific thing and then use those resources that we've gathered and leverage them for the cause of the gospel in the area that we live in, right? And um, and there's sometimes this tension that happens when, when we do things like that. And I want to address some of that tension this morning, okay? Some of that tension is sometimes phrased in this type of, a statement that goes that, that sounds similar to this and may may have some derivate 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 or there you know isn't something like this like buying a thousand turkeys and a thousand pies and getting a thousand bags full of groceries you know that man and all the planning that goes into that eats up just like a ton a ton of resources you know, like, that's just so much money and so, so many, like, can you, I, I don't, like, just to imagine the amount of, like, human resources time that went into that or that's going into this event. And shouldn't we be, as a church, I mean, come on, pastor, like, get with the program. Shouldn't we really be, like, Focusing more on like preaching the gospel? Like, shouldn't that be our focus? Like, why, why are we spending so much of our time and so much of our money towards this event when really, like, as a church, we should be all about preaching the gospel? And, and of course, um, I've been around long enough to know that this question or this type of idea has two separate places that it comes from. The first place that it comes from is a um, genuine honesty about wanting to ensure that ministry and when we're involved in a Christian community is focused, is keeping the main thing the main thing, right? which is getting people who are far from Jesus closer to him proclaiming the name and the salvation that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes from this place of wanting to make sure that we're doing the thing that we should be doing. It also, sometimes parallel and sometimes it's perpendicular to it, right? It comes from this place of, um, this really feels like something Jesus wouldn't do. Like, why are we... Why are we spending all of our time and all of our money and all of our resources doing something other than standing on a corner or going door to door or some kind of like nebulous, not very definable, but still nonetheless defined as preaching the gospel. We should be preaching the gospel, Pastor. My usual refrain because at this point in like planning the event, like kind of tired and 
you know, and like we've put a lot of thought into it and a lot of prayer into it, and someone comes and say, I don't really think that we should be doing this. We really should just be preaching the gospel. I say, I agree completely. I will sign you up to come to the event, and everyone comes through that line. You are free to share the gospel with them. Well, not me, right? I was thinking like you, right? Like that's your responsibility. Um, so there is, can be this tension, okay? What my hope is, what my prayer is, what my goal is today is to have a conversation, um, just, you know, just us girls here, let's have a conversation about, about how, right, um, there is, uh, like, about how the gospel is both proclamation, yes, we must proclaim the gospel, no doubt, all right? It's both proclamation and demonstration. And that when we try to separate one from the other, we, we actually deviate from the, from the very clear example of Jesus, teaching of Jesus, model of the early church, and um, an exhortation of the epistles. Meaning that in, essentially in every breath of the New Testament, we see that, that the gospel is equal parts proclamation as it is demonstration. So that's the goal for today. Um, after all, like, if we were to, if I were to build just a message today on what we've talked about the last three weeks right, in, our, in our disciple ser- series, it would be, you, you would, I would remind you, right, that, that when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel, which is usually, people usually frame that in the sense of, like, we're meeting someone's spiritual need. That we, we would talk about a, a reminder about how, how God has created us as not just spiritual beings, right? Like our body is all bad, and the inside of us, this kind of, um, this kind of magical, invisible thing within us, is really the thing that God is worried about, and that God is concerned about, and that God wants to save, but that's not the witness of Scripture at all. In fact, the witness of Scripture is that we are, we are holistic across several different areas. Our, we have a mind, right, that thinks and that has emotions and, and desires and passions and affections, right? And that we have, we have a body that God formed out of the dust of the earth. And then we have a, a spirit or a soul that he breathed his life into. And we see in the creation account. And how Jesus, right? Jesus, when asked what is the most important commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. And even Jesus alluded to the sense that, hey, we are way more complex than just this invisible spirit that God somehow wants to pull out of our very bad bodies and save. But there is more to us than that. And so as a church and as a community who believes this about who we are, it would be short-sighted of us to say that in our mission to proclaim the fullness of the gospel to the community that we're in, that we don't seek to address not just the spiritual side 
of a person, but also seek to address this, how is the Lord saving you in your body? How is the Lord saving you in your mind? How is the Lord saving you, hey, in your relationships, right? How is the Lord saving you in your soul or in your spirit? And so it would be easy to preach a whole sermon just on the basis of that, what we just talked about going into this next serve. If you know anything about conduit or if you're familiar at all with um, kind of our, our, our a more comprehensive, like bigger picture strategic initiative is that, is that we, we have some, we have desire here and we have vision here to address what, um, what is generally, to, generally considered to be um, large-scale food insecurity problem or issue in Chautauqua County and in the region. Meaning that there is a, that there is a, um, that, that, that access, ability to provide and have healthy, nutritious, readily accessible food for families, for individuals, for children, is a major, major issue in Chautauqua, Cattaraugus, Warren, Allegheny counties. It is a, it is a huge issue, right? So, so much so that even, that most, the, that the, the most school districts, for instance, have moved or are moving to, I know Jamestown is this way, have moved to this like idea that, okay, listen, <laughs> so many people, so many kids need food, right? So many, so many kids need like good, relatively nutritious food every single day that it's no longer even going to be a question of whether there's a need or whether they deserve it or whether they can or can't afford it. Um, all kids in the district, they get free breakfast and free lunch. Because at the very least, we can get them to somewhat nutritious, reliable meals throughout the day and throughout the school year. And then, of course, if you've ever, I don't know, I think I shared this last week, I, I, don't, know, um, I don't know about your experience about not eating, but when I don't eat, I am not a pleasant individual to be around. Okay, I must eat. And when I don't eat, I miss a meal or two, I get a little bit cranky, and my focus is off, and everything else just gets thrown off kilter. And then so we wonder, right, why, like, listen, feeding kids actually helps them do better in school, right? And it is not an a-spiritual thing or an, or, or, or an um, non-gospel type of thing to feed people that are hungry, okay? And we're gonna, I'm going to root that in Scripture this morning, not just like Cameron's best ideas for social policy in Jamestown, okay? It's not what we're about. Um, so here's what we're going to be about, all right? We believe, what we believe about Jesus. Um, uh, we believe that Jesus likes to feed people. We believe that Jesus likes to feed people and care for the actual physical needs of people. Uh, so number one, here we're going to just jump right into it. Jesus exemplified the necessity and the dignity 
of feeding people without question. Even in large, significant numbers. Jesus exemplified this. And not only did he exemplify it, he made sure that his disciples knew that it was their responsibility to feed the people. Okay? Let's look at Matthew chapter 14 okay? as an example. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. We often think of this, or we often call this the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It's in all of the Gospels, right? There are several different... Each Gospel writer kind of has their own level of detail with it. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat uh, privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this... The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, okay, so get this. Jesus is outside the Sea of Galilee, right? It's like rounded on top, right? Think of Chautauqua County, right? Think of Mayville on one side of the lake and then like Bemis on the other side of the lake, right? And so like Jesus is in Mayville. He's on the shore. He's preaching the gospel, right? He's like, I need a break, right? A lot of people need some space. Okay? Big crowd. So he gets in a boat. He was like, I'll just shimmy across the lake to the other side. Right? And so he does so. Right? He gets in the boat. He goes across the lake. He hits the shores of Bemis. Right? And he steps out of the shores of Bemis. He's like, Whew. And guess who followed? Guess who, like, ran around the top of the lake and to go to meet him at Bemis? It's the crowd. Right? And they're like, they, they're, they're sponges for who Jesus is. And they're, they're sponges for what Jesus is saying. And they're, and they're sponges for like the, the heart and the attitude and the ministry and the spirit of what Jesus is bringing there. And they're like, hey, I don't care what it takes and I don't care how much personal space you need. We're going to follow you everywhere that you can possibly go. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, what was the attitude of Jesus? He had compassion on them, right? And he healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a remote place. And it's, you know, it's getting kind of late. You can kind of like, you can hear where this is going. Like, Jesus, we don't be responsible for all these people. You know, I don't know what your plan is, but um, send the crowds away, the disciples said, so they can go to the village or villages and buy themselves some food. What do the disciples say? Hey, look, it's their responsibility to make sure that they have the means to buy food for themselves and their families. Listen, I don't, it's just responsible, okay? It's what they need to do. It's not my responsibility, the disciples say, to feed all of these people that are here. Jesus, will you tell them to go away and take care of their own? Take care of themselves. Make sure, m- make sure they have their own food. <laughs> Jesus, I, w- I fly on the wall. I want to like, I want to see the replay of this one, right? And the looks on the faces. 
Jesus replied, uh, they did not need to go away. How about you give them something to eat? They don't need to go away. You feed them. You feed them. Well, I mean, we only have, Lord, five loaves. Uh, we only have two fish. Bring them here to me, he said. He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking five loaves, two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, and the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. And so the disciples saw this extraordinary need I'm going to be being gentle with them, knowing my own like tendencies, right? Being gentle with them, I'm going to say, maybe they were paralyzed at the significant need in light of their meager means and said, Lord, we can't possibly even make a dent in, this, in, in the hunger of these people with the small amount that we have. We can't possibly change the trajectory of food insecurity in Chautauqua County Cattaraugus County, Warren County, Allegheny County were just one church. Couldn't possibly do it. And Jesus says, okay, what do you have? What, what is it that you do have? Well, we just have this little bit. We have five loaves and two. Okay, give them to me. Because listen, anything that we place, <laughs> anything that we have, that we place and entrust to the hands of Jesus is multiplied in such a miraculous way that not only does it meet the need as it exists, but it meets it in abundance, right? What Matthew says is not that, like, hey, everyone had just enough and they all went away feeling like, okay, we're not as hungry anymore. They all had their fill and then the disciples went around and they gathered the excess of the outpouring of the miracle that the disciples witnessed when what they had was entrusted to Jesus. Well, we only bought, I, all we had is like, I could only buy one bag or five bags full of groceries, or I could only, couldn't even do that. I could, maybe I could, I could give $5, or maybe I can't even do that. I, could, I, had, I had nothing I could give, but maybe I could serve at one of the events, or maybe I couldn't even do that. And listen, anything that we have entrusted into the hands of Jesus to meet the needs of the people around us is used far in abundance and miraculously more than we could ever do with it on our own. And so you're right, a thousand bags doesn't even scratch the surface of like the actual visible need but it's not a thousand bags in the hands of conduits right it's a thousand bags and a thousand turkeys and a thousand pies in the hands of Jesus who sees the need who has compassion on the people and who will expand and multiply and do the miraculous with the little that we have but are willingly giving and offering to him. 
what's in, what, not interesting, what I think is, is telling and pointed to me here and to you and to us, and we constantly need to remember this because this is a scourge. I'm going to say it right now. This is a scourge on American Christianity that needs to die a painful death. All right? Is that the, well, did they, I mean, listen, do all those people who were eating, did they have jobs? Did they really deserve it or need it? You are not the arbiter of who deserves or needs food. You are not. You don't get to make those judgment calls. Stop it. You do not get to make those judgment calls. Jesus fed people without any question of whether they deserved or needed anything. He fed them, not because they needed it or deserved it or were too poor to buy it for themselves, but because they were hungry and because he had compassion on them. The level of provision in that moment was not the person's need, it was the compassion of Jesus. And so when we reflect the heart and compassion of Jesus, the question is not whether or not this person needs or deserves it. The question is, will I act out of a heart of compassion rather than a heart of suspicion on whether or not this person is truly needing or benefiting from this? It does not matter. It does not matter. You will not get to heaven someday and have Jesus being like, I really appreciate, I really appreciate how closely you vetted all those people you helped for their actual need. Not going to happen. All right? So Jesus exemplified the necessity and dignity of feeding people without question, even in significant numbers. There was no mention here in the story of whether or not the people deserved it or were in need, only that they were there and that they were hungry. And so Jesus' commission to his disciples was, it's your responsibility, go and do it. Number two, Jesus taught. So Jesus exemplified one, right? But it wasn't just like, he didn't just do it, right? He also taught that caring for people's basic physical needs is what righteous people do, and that we will be held accountable towards that. Matthew chapter 25. Probably one of the um, like most direct, straightforward um, uh, speeches of Jesus, I guess you could say. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man, Jesus is speaking here about like, you know, we just said like Jesus, I, I doubt Jesus is going to applaud you for how closely you vetted those who are in need. Jesus is like getting to the, like, okay, we're, we're standing before Jesus and kind of like he has come back and we're, we're now like among the throng of people, right? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels come with him, he will sit on his throne in, in heavenly glory, all right? So the game is over. The king has returned. 
And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's using an analogy here that people in his time would have understood. A shepherd stands before, and he separates the sheep, and he separates the goats. He will put his sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. (laughs) And what does he use? What does he use here as the qualifying example? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And all you over here on the right, right, all you righteous people. Sorry, guys, I'll get to you in a second. Uh, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, I mean, when did we see you like this? When When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothing and clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you have done for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those are some specific words. Jesus could have chosen others. He chose these ones. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look at Well, Lord, I mean, when... If we would have seen you like that, we totally would have helped you. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. My notes in my notebook here are not very extensive about this because it pretty much speaks for itself, right? There's, there's nothing here. There's no, like, um, significant theological interpretation that you need to understand what Jesus is saying here. He could have laid this analogy or this metaphor out with whatever example he wanted to in whatever way he wanted to communicate it. Jesus chose to just lay it out at the most basic and foundational level. It's like, hey, look, people's actual physical needs matter. They matter. You see, and the reality is, is that I think, one, I think both the people on the right and the left in a situation like this were like, well, Jesus... The, the left, if we would have saw you, we totally would have like met that need. And that's the problem. It's because they were willing to pick and choose whose need they would meet based on whether or not they knew them, they approved of the life, 
they approved of the lifestyle, they knew where they grew up, they knew what language they spoke, they knew what class they come from, what district they live in, what neighborhood they're at, right? And that's Jesus' issue. That's the issue here. It's like, hey, look, like, it's not about like, because here's the thing. (laughs) One of the things that I have the benefit of like knowing about my life is that if I was in trouble, right? If I legitimately, if disaster struck and I legitimately did not have food to feed my family, if I did not have a roof over my head, if I, if I could not, if I could not clothe my children, um, I know just by virtue of being well known that I could call 200 people and have more food and more clothing and probably five or six different options of places to stay within 15 minutes. It would be easy, right? But what if someone that didn't deserve it? Or that we didn't know as well, right? Or that was like, well, I don't know. I mean, they've kind of like, kind of squandered everything that they've had already and they're not very responsible and yeah, I mean, you, you know you know the narrative, right? You know the narrative. And what Jesus says here in this, essentially a parable or a picture of what's coming, right? Is that, hey look, the way in which you interact with anyone is the way in which Essentially, your heart says you would interact with me. Like, I'm taking it, Jesus says, as if you were saying it to me. As if you were doing it to me. And I will hold you accountable to that, Jesus says. That's the basis of it. You will be held accountable. We will be held accountable. Number three. The early church, right? So Jesus exemplified it. Jesus taught it, right? Well, did that example carry on into the life of the Christian community after Jesus had left, ascended back into heaven? And we see in one of the earliest parts of the formation of the early church, Acts chapter 6, that the early church and the apostles and disciples organized actual offices or jobs within the church around ensuring that people were well-fed. around making sure that those who were in need of food had the food that was available to the, to the community. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we see this. It's uh, where we're introduced to this guy named Stephen, who ends up being one of the first martyrs of the early church, of course. But Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. In those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing, right, church was growing. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. One of the most um, uh, uh, in terms of the society and culture of that day, one of the most vulnerable groups of people, the widows. Right? They had no no family to take care of them. They had no um, they had no 
husband that would that would provide that um, that support to them, right? And so the church took it on as part of their responsibility, as part of the, the overflow of the love of God within them to make sure that those most vulnerable in their community were always well taken care of. And they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, the first apostles or disciples, they gathered all the disciples together and said, hey, listen, it would not be right of us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word this proposal pleased the whole group and so they picked these guys right what is the the main point here the main point is here as the church grew right it became it became really evident that um that that having one group of people do everything all the time was not going to be effective or Effective in meeting the actual need. People were falling through the cracks, right? The, the widows were falling through the cracks. They were not being properly looked after. And so the leaders of the church said, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to delegate this responsibility of ensuring that people don't, get, that don't fall through the cracks to this group of people so that they can be their sole focus to make sure that the needs of this specific group of people in this instance are taken care of. And so we see right from the outset that it was <clears throat> important enough even for the early church to say, hey, look, it is necessary for us to organize ourselves and specific people around the ministry of, of, of caring for this vulnerable population. So Jesus exemplified it. Jesus taught it. The early church organized itself around the feeding of people. And then number four, in a general sense, right? We'll bring it all home. Um, James, the presumed, um, the presumed brother of Jesus, drives the point home even further with this section of Scripture in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. I'm sure uh, many of you have heard this before. What good is it what good is it, brothers and sisters, if you claim to have faith, but you have no deeds? Can such a faith save you? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. And one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. This is this is like the I think this is the modern day equivalent of like being like, hey, God bless you, brother. Like, hope things start to look up from you. I'll I'll pray for you. I'll I'll pray for you. Is prayer bad? No, you know, I'm not saying that, right? Um but but if we're honest, right? If we're honest right here in the core of our being. What are we saying? We, we might be saying, hey, we're actually going to pray for you. We, all, we also might be saying, I don't know how to actually deal with this, so I pray for you and God bless. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is your faith? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, 
if not accompanied by action, is dead. James, the brother of Jesus here, he he says, he, he lays out for us a very clear picture that the spiritual over here, right? Hey, go, wish you, wish you well, God bless, let me pray for you, right? Spiritual over here, and the, what we would call the physical or the tangible over here, the hunger in the pit of your stomach, right? They, those two, they function together or they die. They die. This is why we, we firmly believe, I firmly believe, and I think that the scripture for, like, pretty clearly states that proclamation alone. Go, I wish you well. God bless. Let me pray for you. Don't worry. Your time is coming. Right? Thumbs up. Keep warm. Proclamation alone is an incomplete expression of faith in Jesus Christ. It is not complete. Proclamation alone is an incomplete expression of faith in Jesus Christ, not just for an individual, but for a whole church. If it's true for you, it's true for us. Okay? Proclamation alone is not enough. Jesus himself is evidence that mere proclamation was not a sufficient expression of God's heart for his people. Because, listen, this gets down into like the very nitty-gritty of the incarnation of Jesus himself. Jesus came in flesh as a living, breathing teaching, exemplifying, flesh and blood example and incarnation of the heart of God to the people. Think about it. Think about the, 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 the comparison of those who were the spiritual and religious elite in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priest, who Jesus himself said, in matters of observing the law, were perfect. They knew every T to cross, every I to dot. They knew everything about the spiritual matters of the heart of God. But they could not love a person to save their stinking lives. There was a major, major disconnect in understanding for them that, that merely proclaiming the law to people was not the same thing as incarnating the heart of God to people. And Jesus just like tore them apart about it. Be like, guys are so lost and you don't get it. And so what Jesus came to do was actually to show the integration of the proclamation of God's heart and the incarnation of God's heart 
in one. That they are not separate. They are, they are inseparable from one another. Everything that man failed at, Jesus fulfilled. He incarnated the love of God. He made it real. He made it tangible. He made it demonstrated. Paul goes so far as to say is that, is that, is that God was actually demonstrating, right? Not proclaiming. Because God could have just like stayed in a cloud, right? And proclaimed everything. He was the God that spoke everything into existence, right? He could have proclaimed everything. And in some ways, that's what the law actually did. He could have proclaimed everything, but it wasn't enough, right? That there was the need for a demonstration, an incarnation, a tangible example of the heart and love of God for his people. Paul goes so far as to say in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God, what? Demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, we deserved nothing. Christ died for us. So the demonstration of God's love came before, came before deserving of anything. It was the proclamation coupled with the demonstration that made for the complete picture of the gospel. So if we follow the example of, of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, as well as the method of the early church, we must come to the conclusion that the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ is both demonstration and proclamation. Not one, not the other, but both. And so you say, well, why are we spending all of this time feeding people? We should be preaching the gospel. We are feeding the gospel, or we are preaching the gospel. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're demonstrating the gospel. You cannot rip one from the other, right? The feeding of people is an incarnation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not more important or less important than the proclamation, and not really any different than the proclamation. It becomes the incarnation of the gospel, of a gospel life that lives within us. The life of Jesus Christ within us compels us and moves us into this place of demonstration of the gospel. And it's not less of a ministry than standing on a street corner. Now, what is our hope? What is our hope? Um, I, I'm assuming that um, many of you saw uh, the article in the paper about the event, and um, and we thought it was great, and we like loved it and appreciated it, right? And we were it was really clear. I wanted to be really clear when we were getting interviewed for that article, right? That um, that the right things were highlighted that the right things were recognized. Okay. Um, and Katrina Fuller, who wrote the article, who happens to be in the room today, right, did a great job. And we knew she would. 
If we had any doubt that she wouldn't, we, we wouldn't have done it. I would rather no publicity than the wrong publicity. All right? And so what is the goal there? Because it is tempting, extraordinarily tempting, right? It is extraordinarily tempting to elevate and glorify and magnify the name of Conduit Ministries. Look at how much good we're doing. Look at how, can you believe how awesome our church is? We want everyone to know how great Conduit Ministries is. No. No. Mm -mm. Is Conduit Ministries great? Well, yeah, I happen to think that it's a pretty great place, right? It's a great people. It's a great place to, to become a disciple of Jesus. It's a great place to get rooted in actual community that's kind of messy sometimes. It's kind of hard sometimes. It's difficult. But uh, it's, it's a great place to worship. It's a great place to learn. It's a great place to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we all about elevating how great conduit is? Never in a million years, as long as I'm here, will we ever, 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 ever be about that. Ever. Our goal, all the time, forever and ever, amen, is to elevate and magnify and glorify the name of Jesus. And so, when it comes to this event... Right? I don't care if, if, if all 1,000 people in those lines next Sunday have zero idea who the people are that, are that are serving them or what church they come from or represent. I don't care one single iota. I don't, wanna, I don't need to pad these seats. We don't need to fill this room with people that are coming here like a bait and switch. We'll give you this bag, but we really hope you come to church. Nope. Nope. Mm -mm. Do I hope they come to church? Duh, right? Of course, right? Is it a, hey, let's do this so they do that? No, it's a, let's do this because the life of Christ within us compels us to do this, right? And if in whatever way we can, we can deflect any glory, any honor, any reputation, any renown to us, to the Heavenly Father, that's what we are about. That's what we're going to do. It's not about Conduit, and it's not about Bemis. It's not even about Jamestown. Listen, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Following the path of Jesus' teaching, following the path of Jesus' example, following the path of the church of Jesus, following the path of the, of the authority and the word of Jesus following Jesus, following Jesus, following Jesus. And Paul here, in, um, in his letter to the Corinthians, this is what we're going to close with, all right? He says, like, he, he, he lays this out for his people, right? So the Corinthian church um, was like the, they were very wealthy, and they were kind of like the cosmopolitan big city church. And what Paul did was he was like, hey, look, Corinthians, I need you to commit to using what God has given to you to help bring the gospel through my ministry to other areas that are that that can't like can't build churches or help the sick or feed the feed the um, feed those who are hungry. I need 
I need your financial help, is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Right? And so what happens? Um, so he addresses the fact that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that, that the Corinthians' response to his request for help on behalf of other churches is actually producing something in those areas that may be unexpected, right? Because maybe the Corinthians would be like, hey, we're going to make a great name for the Corinthian church here, that they're a generous church, that they are, they are planting churches all over the place. But that's not what happened at all. Verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, hey, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to who? To God. Verse 12. See, this service that you perform, it's not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. What does Paul say here? He's saying, hey, look, what you gave out of the generosity of your hearts is turning out actually to produce expressions of thankfulness to God. There are people in this city right now legitimately praying that God would provide for the needs of their family. There are people in this city praying even right now, Lord, we, I need help. We don't have money, I don't have food, I can't provide for my kids, I'm emotionally lost, right? I'm all alone, struggling with addiction, struggling with mental health issues, I got family that's abandoning me, I don't know how to take care of like they praying and praying and pray, I don't know, like, and maybe they don't have a really maybe they don't have a gospel consciousness, right? Maybe they don't have a Jesus consciousness within them, right? Right, but they're they're reaching and desiring and searching and looking for that moment where God shows up in a tangible way and they are able to see it and receive it as an expression of God's provision in their life. And then what's it do? It wells up and they give in thankfulness. They, there's this expression of thankfulness of God. Thank you for providing for my family even in just this really basic way, this meal, so I have the dignity of serving and feeding and cooking for my family on Thanksgiving Day. And that's the goal. The goal is to provide for people's needs, right? So that they have reason to see the way in which God can answer their prayers will answer their prayers and that they, they can live out of a thankfulness for what God is doing in their lives. 
They're, they're responding to God's miracle-working power in their lives. And guess what? God works miracles through His church. God works miracles through His church. And if you think it's anything less than a miracle, that by the end of today, we'll have a thousand bags ready, and a thousand turkeys. I want to tell you right now, like, listen, um, like, the turkeys have been paid for, the pies have been paid for, right? Um, the coffee that we will serve there has been paid for, the, the timbits that we have served, we will serve there has been paid for. Like, God has so extraordinarily and miraculously and, and uh, like, Far in abundance of what the actual need was, every single expense is covered. I'm telling you why. It's not a small expense. But if, you, have you, if you've bought a turkey yet, you will know what a thousand turkeys could cost. Right? And a thousand pies. right? And a thousand foil pans to cook them in. Right? And then everything else that comes... Um, I mean, we, we spent upwards of $30,000 to make this happen, okay? And, and God has provided every single cent of it. God has provided every single cent. And, 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 and I trust and I know, right, that, that what you said, Lord, I don't have a lot, but I have this, right? God is going to take that five, those five loaves, those two small fishes, right? And he's going to multiply them, and expand them. And so, and so I want you to be one of the disciples that sees the miracle of what Jesus just did. Because I'm sure they were holding the bags left over of loaves and fishes and be like, I don't exactly know how this happened, but we got all this food left over and we had this huge need. And I want, and I'm sure that that like struck way down into the heart of who they were. And I want this to strike way down into the heart of who you were. Jesus is doing a miracle in the city through his church and it's going to overflow in expressions of thankfulness to God. That is why we do things like this. Okay? I want you to remember that forever. Um, because we get, I mean, I, it's like, just candidly, because we get questions like this a lot. Like, why do you guys do that? That's a lot of money. And it's a lot of time. You should just be proclaiming the gospel. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it, right? But like, press replay on the YouTube channel for this sermon whenever you're feeling like, oh, we should really just be about proclaiming the gospel. I agree you're not going to get an argument with me. We should be proclaiming the gospel. But it's not that simple, right? Just say we should just be proclaiming the gospel. And if you want to just proclaim the gospel, then, then come and proclaim the gospel. But don't just say we want to come and we, we should be proclaiming the gospel and then, um, and then not show up. Like either do it or don't. But, but, but don't try to heap that guilt, right, on your church leadership for not doing what we should be doing when you're not doing what you should be doing. Because we're like, listen, we're in it to win it here. All right? Proclaiming and demonstrating an overflow of generosity out of what God has given to us 
so that there be, might be thankfulness given to God. Let me pray for us. Let me say this about, go ahead and come up. Um, next week, um, since, the, since the, the actual event starts at 2 o'clock, okay, and um, your pastor has this inability to not just ramble on for hours on end, um, we're going to try really hard, right, to make an abbreviated service next week. Um, and we may ask you, um, even if you're not signed up to volunteer at one of the, the sites, and that's okay if you're not, but even if you're not, we may ask you next week to help us get bags to their right location, sort through things, get things packed in different trailers um, to go to each event. The, the, the uh, service will be a little bit abbreviated next week so that we can make sure we get you, you guys, you conduits, out to the specific sites that we'll be serving at so you can get set up and that you can get ready and that you can get prayed up. Every bag that we have here already, every turkey that we have here, um, we will pray over it all next week, okay? Um, we will make sure um, that we are well prayed up and ready to go. You know, if you've never seen or received a bag or whatever, never been a part of the event, you know, every bag of groceries comes with a few bits of things in there. It's like, you know... Do you, do you not, do you want to pray over your meal, but do you not know how to pray? Let us help you pray a prayer of blessing and thankful, thanks, of thanksgiving over this meal. Um, not everyone knows how to cook a turkey, right? Um, and so instructions on how to cook and prepare each item that is in there so you can serve it to your family in a way that you can be proud of and full of honor, um, as well as information about um, both local churches that put, like, Worship times and contacts and Facebook links and all of that so people can get connected if they want to. And then, of course, the crux of it all is that um, every person, we hope, doesn't like leaves, ne never leaves one of those sites without having like eye to eye, face to face, warm communication with someone who is there to be a demonstration and an incarnation of the love of Jesus Christ for them. And so that no one leaves one of those places feeling discouraged hopeless or alone but they leave feeling encouraged full of hope knowing that there are people who love them and care for them and want God's best for their lives and so that's what our that's the whole like that's the whole shooting match right the event happens rain or shine it happens blizzard or sunshine out right um, I anticipate just uh, I anticipate that we you know, we say the event starts at 2 at each location and goes until it's done. I anticipate we'll be done around 3 o'clock. If previous years are any indication, it will be about an hour before the food is gone. Okay? Um, and so we would still love your help. Um, there's a good, there's a good there's a good chance, right, that you would get there and be like, wow, there's a lot of volunteers here. I don't really know what to do, and that is okay. All right, um, you're gonna see that I'm talking too much. I, I don't care. Feels right. Um, <laughs> uh, you're gonna see that a lot of people are gonna be walking to these locations. Okay, um, and in years past, we found that it's really helpful and a extraordinary blessing 
Some people need help carrying their stuff home because they're coming with like three or four kids, right? They're trying to hold hands and carry a turkey and carry a bag and they're walking up hills and, they're, and whatever. And so there have been, there, there is opportunity if you feel safe and you feel comfortable to help people carry their groceries back to their homes. And I've had more than, more than one life-changing conversation on those walks, okay? And so there is, there is, there is no shortage of, of things to do, of people to help, of smiles to give, of coffee to pass out, of timbits to eat, okay? Of groceries to carry. Uh, we can use your help, okay? Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. for the ministry of your spirit among us. For the power of your word. Lord, we pray that your spirit would go throughout this whole city. It would break, Lord, any hardness of heart. that your spirit your sweet spirit would melt away Lord any spirit of hardness or anger or suspicion Lord that even now you know exactly what homes that food will go into people it will feed what impact it will have Lord and I pray now Lord that your spirit would go before those bags go before the food Lord and that you would would begin to prepare each one of those homes each one of those people Lord to receive your gospel Lord we pray healing and the restoration of families. Lord, we pray that every issue of food insecurity, Lord, would be wiped away, washed away, melted away. Lord, that your church, not just conduit, Lord, but your church, community, those who are disciples of Jesus in the Jamestown area and beyond, Lord, would be so fully united behind the cause of demonstrating and proclaiming your gospel, Lord, that there would not be a single hungry person here, but that, Lord, heaven Heaven would come crashing to earth in such an incredible way. Look, you taught your disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we know there are no hungry people in heaven. There are no people who are hopeless in heaven. There are no people who are alone or discouraged in heaven, Lord. And so we pray.
the name of Jesus, Lord, that your kingdom, just as it is in heaven, would come crashing to earth. Lord, may they see in us the demonstrated power, the demonstrated love, 